as you know, on Unscalable, we like to speak to people who've adopted an unscalable approach to growing their businesses. So today I'm super excited to have Melissa Kwan on the show. Melissa is the co-founder and CEO of eWebinar, an automated webinar solution that helps customer success teams deliver personalized training and onboarding at scale. Melissa has spent 12 years in startups and built three successful companies without any venture capital backing. Her previous startup, a real estate tech company, was acquired in 2019. Melissa, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Gavin. So I'm curious, how did you get interested in startups all those years ago? Um, I think I was always an entrepreneur at heart, but I was never entrepreneurial. Um, and so I think when I was in, like, even thinking back to elementary school, I would make like little origami cranes and try to sell them at school. So I think that was always in me. Um, and I did work for a bunch of companies and then on the side, I would try to start things with friends, but never really materialized because I wasn't really focused on it. Um, but more so like I'm not from a family of entrepreneurs, so I don't really know what that means. Um, but it really wasn't until the last company I worked for, which was SAP, that I was like, I really hate being an employee. And that was when I was like, okay, I need to try to do something on my own. And, and that was about 12 years ago. So, um, I don't think I was like particularly startups. Like when I quit SAP, like the word startups wasn't even like known to me. I just thought like, I'm going to quit and start my own company. And then I learned through meetups that like, if you have a tech company, it's called a startup. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I think for me, when I realized I wanted to be an entrepreneur, it was just, it was more about having control. Like I hated having a boss and yeah. not having complete control of my destiny. Um, so I think, I think that's what led me, like startups was the way for me to get that freedom almost. Yeah. I mean, I think freedom and like, I think, I think everybody defines that differently, but freedom is, is definitely something that has always been very important to me. Um, but that's also why I work for small companies uh, before SAP and I actually only work for SAP because I'm like, okay, if one day I want to have a big company, I should learn how it's structured, like it's structured and, and, and how it's run. And then I went into it. And I'm like, I absolutely hate this. <laughs> <laughs> so I've listened to a couple of other podcasts that you've been on recently uh, where you shared the space your story and it really sounds like it was one long, str long struggle for you um, so after you sold the company what was it that made you want to do it all over again like create another startup from scratch I mean to be honest with you we sold Spacio for life-changing money like absolutely it it changed everything uh, because I was also struggling for, you know, eight, nine years with, with nothing. Like I never had a regular salary. Like even if I did, it was super low. And then I would always cut my own salary to pay someone else. Um, but we didn't sell it for retirement level money. And I was, I want to say 36 at the time. And I knew that whatever I would get myself into, it's another five years, right? Like you can have all the experience behind you, but there is no shortcut, right? Like you can only build technology as quickly as like your man hours, right? And, and you know, based on how many people you can have on board. So I wanted to get something going right away because I, I just don't want to work like for, for many more years. I, I think like by the time I'm, I'm 40, <laughs> I would want to be working because I want to, not because I have to. And that was really the driving decision. It wasn't like, let's put myself through this again. <laughs> like if I didn't have to, I wouldn't. Cool. So, so with eWebinar, your, your new startup, um, how did you get the idea? Um, like, was it something that you were struggling with before? And did you validate other ideas before you decided to pursue eWebinar? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, 
So for some context, eWebinar um, is, a, is a platform that saves people from doing the same webinar over and over again. So you can imagine your sales demos, your onboarding, your customer training, uh, feature updates, things like that. Everything you might be running on Zoom right now, we take a video, we deliver it like a webinar. So you can run a hundred of them a month without a live host. So this was absolutely something that I struggled with with Spacio every single day. So I was bootstrapped in that one as well. Um, you can imagine like I was everything except for code. So I was like admin, accountant, sales, customer success. So you can imagine like all of the webinars I was doing on GoToWebinar and then Zoom, like, but all of these were exactly the same. And at the same time, I was digital nomading. So not only was I doing multiple back-to-back repetitive webinars to make sure that my new customers would adopt the platform because otherwise they would churn um, and that would be a big problem for for payroll. Um, I was also doing them on different time zones. So every single day I was with Spacio, I'm like, why can't there be a product that would take my perfect video, deliver it like a webinar because people don't like, especially for like training and onboarding, they don't go to YouTube right? Like Mm. they don't like your knowledge base. They want to go to a webinar. They want to interact. So I was dreaming up this product that would allow me to do my job while I could have more fun and, and do literally anything else, but the same webinar over again. Cause some, sometimes like, you know, 30 people would sign up and like one person would show up and it's actually very disheartening and like just Mm -hmm. mentally exhausting to be the person that runs that. And I did try other solutions back then, but nothing was as elegant Um, as I wanted it to be. And nothing had that like asynchronous chat feature that allows Mm -hmm. you to hop in to respond live if you are there, but respond later by email, just like an intercom or a Zendesk. So all the features that we had, um, I mean, all the features we have now even are like things that I have dreamt up that I wish I had there. So um, I didn't come out of Spacio thinking, okay, this is the one that I want to do because Mm. I do think that there's a, there's, Um, uh, I think there's a time in your life where like experience kind of hinders you, right? Mm -hmm. So I had, I had struggled so much with Spacio that I was like, okay, do I really want to do this again? And if I were going to do this again, like, is this the right idea? Mm. And I think there's a lot of ideas that sound great. um, Especially like when people are just like pumping them out, right? Like it's fun to like bounce ideas around, but once you do more research, you dig into it a little bit it all kind of falls apart, right? Because mm-hmm. then you realize, okay, someone else is doing it better than me or I don't have experience in this or I just don't have the expertise to sell to that that you know audience or, or something mm-hmm. like that. So what I actually did um, because I was in a, in, a, in a place in my life where I could start asking myself, okay, what is it that really makes me happy? Not what is the next job I want? Mm-hmm. So I really sat down and I thought, okay, what are the driving forces of my happiness? And I made a list of non-negotiables, um, you know, things like having a fully remote, remote team, not having any employees, uh, being able to create a product or sell a product that is meaningful to me, that reflects who I am, um, but also to have a product that could be sold 100% through the internet and not through conferences. Because with Spacio, I was always like first quarter, I would just be flying around in a conference and like setting up booths and things like that. So eWebinar was the one idea that kept coming back to me because it fit all those things. Mm. So in in a sense, it was like the most practical idea, but it actually, um, I think, aligns most with who I am and what makes me happy. So I'm curious just to find out because we have a lot of like non-technical founders listening to the show. 
And often people ask me like how they can start a business from just an idea if they aren't technical. So can you walk me through like how you took that idea as a non-technical founder and kind of got that developed or got that built? Um, did you outsource development? Did you bring on a CTO? Like how did you actually get the product off the ground? Yeah, that is that is a super interesting question. And, and honestly, like it is such a hard one to solve. Um, I would say like having spent almost a decade in tech, like I'm not technical. I don't know coding languages and I don't know how things work. Um, I do know that all code is not built the same way. <laughs> like, um, and so I do know that like finding your 1% coder to be your co-founder is like one of the hardest challenges that you could have. Um, but also with, with me, I was so tired of having a co-founder, to be honest. Um, my, my ex-co-founder, like we were such good friends and like, he was amazing. He was an amazing engineer, but he was not a great CTO and he was not a great co-founder in, in a sense. And he knew that, and we had lots of conversations about this. So I was so sick of struggling with those things that I came into eWebinar thinking, I don't need a co-founder. Like I've got some money now. I sold my company. I could just do this on my own. <laughs> so what I did was um, I hired a dev shop um, that I wanted to build the first version of the product. So I spec'd out the first version of the product. Um, not like technically, but I was like, okay, mm -hmm. these are the things that I would want to see. And then I would have them actually like build it. But the idea, because I didn't want any employees coming into this one, um, I wanted a fully like remote outsourced team. Um, the idea was always to have them build the first version and then transfer it to like Vietnam, like a dev shop in Vietnam. And mm -hmm. that was where our permanent developers were going to be. And so I hired this dev shop, um, which was also a friend's dev shop. Don't work with your friends. <laughs> so that's <laughs> lesson advice. learned there. Um, and unfortunately it didn't work out. Um, and I think a lot of times it, it's not like my fault or their fault. It's like, when you have a tech, uh, when you have a tech company and you want to build a product, like there is so much heavy lifting that if you don't have someone thinking about this 24 seven without spending more money per hour, mm. it's, it's just really hard to get it off the ground. And I, and we wanted a full product. There wasn't going to be a beta. There wasn't going to be an alpha. Like I wanted a product that we could charge people from day one. And so I wanted a full product and with the website and everything, right? I wanted our website to look like we were already an established company from day one. So a lot of work had to go into that. And I think we both underestimated really what it took. Um, and at the time, uh, my my partner, my life partner, David, we were like stuck in Hawaii during COVID. Um, he was always like the CTO, like the kind of pseudo CTO that was going to like see how this code was built. And he was going to be the advisor to kind of transfer it to the Vietnam team. But then he was like, oh, this is not built right. This is not built right. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't know how to fix this. Also, like, this is my friend's dev shop. Like, if if he's telling me that this is being done, like, I, I have to trust him. Hmm. Why don't you go in and fix it? And out of frustration, he goes in, he starts coding. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, you can really code. Like, he was always a fractional CTO for someone else. But we never really talked about work in that way. And like, you know, working with developers, like, what good code is when mm. something just works. And after that, I'm like, well, why am I paying this dev shop and they're not really delivering and you can actually code. And that was like a year into the project. So I was like, why don't we end our relationship there? Because at the time, like the dev shop was also sinking in too many resources to try to make this happen. But it, it like, so we were both losing. 
-hmm. right? I wasn't getting what I want and they were trying like hard to kind of fulfill that contract. So we had a hard conversation with them. We ended our relationship with them. And then I brought David in as my CTO and co-founder. So it turns out you can't build a tech company without a CTO. Um, so that was my journey. Um, but I would say like, just get really good at doing what you do as a CEO, right? Like if you're not a technical co-founder, because you have to have something to offer as well. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's not free equity. I'm not saying like, Hey, I'll give you 50% of you code for me because 50% of nothing is nothing. Mm. And if your company becomes something like, Hey, equity is like toothpaste. You can't get it back in the tube. Yeah. So <laughs> if it's the wrong partner, then you're stuck with them. And that divorce is extremely difficult. Right. So I would say like, make sure you know what you're offering and then find an equal partner mm. and then have a, you know, an honest conversation about like what equity you'd want to split that makes it meaningful for them, even if they're your life partner. Brilliant advice. It's actually funny because as I'm setting Sandable up and doing some angel investing. So I'll have meetings with these non-technical founders who they're kind of outsourcing all the development and their costs yeah. are just going crazy. Yeah. So for me, it's a red flag. Like I'll, I, as an investor, I won't invest in a company that has outsourced development. It's just a huge risk. Um, yeah. So I think that's great advice. Um, I'm, I'm curious, just from your last company, Spacio, like what uh, lessons are you bringing with you to eWebinar e now? Um, any, any lessons you've learned in the past that are going to help you kind of grow this business? Yeah, the number one is don't build a product without customers. <laughs> like um, Spacio worked out um, as it did, but it was like the 10th, 12th version of it that we actually got someone to pay for. Um, and I wrote a lot about this in, you know, my medium account and things like that too. Like we started with this bleeding edge product. Like it was an open house sign-in software and that's where it ended, but that's not where it started. It started as this like super complex consumer plus business hardware software. Like it was like super bleeding edge and it was like cool, but it just didn't have any adoption. So I spent many years in, in the real estate industry and then in real estate tech. So I thought I knew my customers, but mm. in that scenario, like we spent, like, I would say a good two years just iterating on the product before we found the product someone would pay for. And that's where all the debt came from. So like, do not build a product and then look for customers, mm. like make sure you have people that are willing to pay for this. And actually a good litmus test is see what else is out there, right? It is such a red flag when someone's like, no one's doing this and I'm doing it. Yeah. Like, I would be like, no, you like that is either that's false or you have a bad business mm. because whatever you're thinking about, someone has maybe tried it or it's a version of it is already out there. So if it's not out there, like find out why. And that was like the biggest mistake because it just got us into like hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, like personal debt, because mm. we, we were bootstrapped. So where do you think that money came from? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <That's> crazy. <laughs> um, but also like, I think the biggest lesson I took out of it was do something that makes you happy. Like, and I know that sounds like super simple, but, and, but it's really hard to achieve because I think a lot of people create businesses or a career out of what they know. Like I studied finance. So I'm going to be a banker, mm. right? I studied like engineering. So I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to build, build bridges. Right. But at the end of the day, like what you study and what your experience does not have to define your career. 
because it's going to be super hard. So if it's going to be super hard, you might as well find do something that makes you happy. And mm. and when I say do something that makes you happy, it's not like I want to do X. Like it doesn't have to be so specific, right? It could be, you know, some of the non-negotiables that I mentioned, like I have to have a fully remote team, right? I have to have a product that can be sold off, like sold off the internet. So it can't be, you know, an enterprise level product. Like it, it can be just general guidelines like that. And that's what I didn't do because I was always in the real estate business. And I was like, okay, well, I quit SAP so I could just like build technology for real estate. But like it was my experience and my knowledge, but it was not like where my happiness was. So coming into this, like I I got a chance to change that. And if anyone listening, like if you're even just thinking about an idea, like I I would say like start with a question, okay, like what really makes me happy? Mm. But even if you have a business right now, it doesn't mean that you can't create some of those boundaries today. So back to what you're saying about validating with customers, um, you know, that you didn't speak to customers before you started building. How are you doing it differently now with eWebinar? Are you speaking to customers as you build? Because um, I know you mentioned you had your own problem you wanted to solve. Yeah. When, did you, when did you bring in customers into that, into that journey? Um, actually, I, uh, I did not talk to any customers. <laughs> um, but I was kind of in a unique position, right? So my background's in sales. I've always been in sales. So my, I would say one of my strongest skill sets is to sell something that doesn't exist today um, to either get a yes or a no. Mm. Because I think like, and, and this is the reason why I don't believe in betas or I don't believe in pilot projects. Because when you put somebody in a room or a group of people in a room to critique something, like they're going to critique it. If, you're, if I'm like, hey, Gavin, do you need an automated webinar software? Like you'd be like, no. Otherwise I would have one, right? Yeah. Like it's hard to conceptualize, <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, I already knew just from my own experience of wanting this product that it exists. And I would, you know, and for years I would be at these conferences talking to my peers and we'd all complain about the same thing. So either you have like a massive support team or like, or you still, or you have a massive support team or you're still not doing enough of these, Mm -hmm. or you have a small team like me and, and you, you're just finding makeshift solutions, right? You're like, okay, people don't like videos, but a video is what you're getting. Right. Or like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to close this deal and then figure it out later. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, like the biggest, the biggest validation was there were products out there already with good customer bases, Mm -hmm. highly engaged customers. I just wanted to build a different version of what Mm -hmm. was out there. Right. And that was the biggest validation. I didn't need somebody telling me, Hey, like, there's a need for an automated webinar software. I knew that an automated webinar software designed for small, medium, and maybe large enterprise does not exist in the way that I want it to. Mm. So I knew that talking to customers would also like cloud my judgment. And I think that's one of the hardest things as a founder, isn't it? Like to ask for advice, but be picky about what you, (laughs) what you receive and what you just leave behind you. Mm. Right. Like you just have to have so much conviction in, in yeah. what you're doing. Um, but also be okay that like you're the only one that has to live with a consequence. Mm. And if you ask 10 people for for what their advice is, they're gonna give you 10 different ideas. And then you're gonna go home thinking, like, oh, maybe I didn't think of these things. So nobody saw eWebinar until like July 1st, 2020, like the first day that we put it out there. Um, and we started charging like our first customer. 
So do you get customers on day one? Like how soon after you launched did you did you get your first customer? Yeah. So when we launched, um, and it was like we launched with a set of features that like I thought we were like I thought solutions out there were missing. And of course we didn't have feature parity, right? Like you're never going to because you've just like we built it for a year and a half before we put it out there. Other people has been around for like five to 10 years. So you're not going to have feature parity, but we were very um, aware of what we wanted our 10 times feature to be, right? As Jason Lemkin mm. puts it, like it's the one feature that people sign up, like because you have it and someone mm. else doesn't. So we were like very, very aware that like the chat system that we had um, was going to be it. And then we gave up a lot of, a lot of other things. So on day one, we, we couldn't charge our customers because we didn't have Stripe integrated. <laughs> like we just didn't have time. And I was like, yeah. okay, we're going to, we're going to put this out there. Otherwise, like it's, it already looks great. And I was, I was still working for Spacio at the time. So we could use it for our own training. Like that was like, that was actually the first use case. Um, so what I did was, um, I made a list of everyone I had worked with, or I knew like my friends, my vendor friends that I thought could use this product put it in a Google sheet and I went down to every single one of them to set up call, tell them what I was doing and then get their buy-in ask if they wanted to try it. And I would say, Hey, if you sign up for a trial now, because we're early, we're going to give you, we're going to extend your trial from 30 days to, you know, 60 days or whatever. Right. So we made the first charge date, September 1st. And that would give us time to actually ah, build Stripe in. Yeah. And then when people signed up in August, then it would be like the traditional, you know, 30 day trial. We've, we've then, we've since then shortened it to 14. Um, but that's how we got our first customers was Amazing. like, we basically just told them they had an extended trial and then everybody charged on September 1st. And I think we had like an 80% conversion rate. Wow. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, so just what you were saying about Jason Lemkin, um, I'm curious so for those who haven't heard of this, this 10x feature sort of uh, mindset or building something that gives you, that brings in users, could you explain like how you figured out what your 10x sort of feature was? Maybe how other founders could find their own 10x feature? Yeah, study all of your competitors like crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's public, right? It's public information. Mm. You, can, you can sign up for them. They can sign up for you. There's no secret, right? And every product has their own niche set of customers. So I had like, it wasn't even part of my research. It was because it like during Spacio, I was so desperate for this kind of software. Like I signed up to literally everything I could find that would solve that problem. And none of these solutions had this kind of intercom style chat feature. And the reason is also because it is just super hard to build. Like some people have it as their standalone business. Mm. <laughs> and a lot of these, um, you know, kind of on-demand webinar companies, evergreen webinar companies, whatever you want to call it, they would have like only a live chat. So it, the webinar would be automated, but you have to be there when it's playing in order to respond. But mm. like true automation is to be able to do something without being there. So that actually defeats the purpose. So if you don't respond when you're on the other side, then the chat kind of goes into the ether. Um, or they just have like this fake chat box that that is actually an email. And I've used those before. So mm. when, but then when someone types in it and you're not checking your email, mm. then they're, they're, your response also goes through email. It doesn't go through the chat box. So yeah. it's not like an authentic webinar, like chat experience. So I just knew like from my previous life um, and after like selling Spacio, I really only did like maybe four more weeks of research, just like making sure 
I really tried everything out there before I was like, okay, like this is the one thing that we have to invest time into building. Mm -hmm. And even if somebody were going to copy us, it would just take a really long time. Mm. So I guess once you have that sort of 10x feature or that USP, I assume that made your marketing much easier. So like, did you make it the, the kind of focal point in your website? Like how did you take that advantage and put it to good use? I mean, it's, it's hard, right? Because if you haven't done your research, then you almost expect that it's there. Mm-hmm. And, and consumers are like so discerning right now. Like me and you, right? Like how many seconds do we give something before we're like, yeah. this sucks, I'm going to delete it, <laughs> right? So I would say like most people that haven't looked at this type of software would be like, yeah, of course it's in there. Like, why is it not in there? Mm-hmm. Um, like we have people coming in now that are like, why don't you have SMS reminders? That's standard. Like, how is that standard? <laughs> it's, like, it's like a mobile service, right? Like we go, like we integrate through Twilio, but they're like, why do I have to use Twilio? It's standard. So like, that's where we are as a society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can't say like, hey, this is my 10x feature or like, hey, we have chat and other people don't because your marketing can't be, we have this and other people don't, mm. right? So what we what we do and how we leverage that is we, like our e-webinar demo on our website is only delivered through e-webinar. So I don't do live demos because I mm. can't, like our product is a visual experience, mm. right? It's so... When they're in our demo, then they experience that chat, mm. right? They experience the interactivity, the branding, like, cause you can also program like questions, polls, resources. So it's more like a two-way participatory experience. Cool. So then they're like, oh, okay, this is actually really cool. So they're experiencing it just as their customers are. Mm. And then they might be like, and if we are the first place they go and they do look at other things, they'll be like, oh yeah, like I looked at other things and they didn't have, I'm like, they didn't have this. Or if we're the last place they go to, they're like, oh, this is something that's unique and different. So like in the beginning, we didn't have any customer testimonials. Like now mm. we do like on like different features and, and different things that they do this with. But in the beginning, like we just have to force people into the experience and like, like we still do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really put that front and center. We kind of leave it up to the prospect or the customer to, to kind of do their own research and, and experience it. Um, so, so most most second or third time founders um, kind of want to go bigger with each startup. So often that means fundraising. Um, so why are you choosing to stay bootstrapped, even though you've kind of exited a business, you can probably easily raise raise some funds? Um, what's the reason? Yeah, I actually just recently posted about this on LinkedIn. Um, so we were also bootstrapped. I had two other businesses before this also bootstrapped, and and like by bootstrapping, like we did get like some investment in my previous company from a private investor that, that wasn't a friend. Like I didn't know this guy, but we had to, because otherwise like we would go under and um, you know, that investor helped us you know pay off a lot of debt and things like that. So, um, but it wasn't, it didn't take very long for me to realize like having an investor just kind of sucks. Like all of a sudden you're reporting on stuff. Like they're asking you for like financial statements every month or their accountant wants to audit something or they're questioning your decisions. Right. And it just, I I just kind of lost that, like really my own boss kind of freedom. Mm -hmm. And then I, I realized I don't want to manage their expectations. And, um, yes, like after selling a company, it does become much easier. Like if you want to raise like capital and especially two years ago, like everybody Mm -hmm. was writing checks. Right. But I think what people don't understand and what I came to understand also after like having so many peers in, um, 
you know, around me that have mm. raised capital. Like I have never, I don't actually know anyone who has raised capital and said like, Melissa, I can't wait to raise more capital next time. <laughs> right. Like a lot yeah, of people, so like I'm going to like super, like I'm going to think super hard, like, and like about how I want to do this. I think most people don't understand that like venture capital, especially comes with a board seat. Mm. Right. Like they can then determine all of your decision. They can stop a decision. They can make a decision. Right. Like, I mean, I've spent so many years building my business. So I, I have earned my freedom to digital nomad. I can, I set my own hours. I don't even work before noon. Right. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't have any employees. I don't have a fancy office. Right. Like, so I guess like I was, I also like having lived in New York before also fell in the trap of thinking like, Oh, venture capital means success or getting a write-up on TechCrunch means that I'm successful. Like there's this validation. And if I don't sell for a hundred million, then I'm not worthy. Mm. But after years of like just seeing other people struggle with that and then hopping on the venture train and never being able to get off because then they force you to hire all these people. And then all of a sudden you need to raise more money to support those people, especially in a downturn. I just don't like the idea of that. Mm. I'm not saying it's like right or wrong. I'm just saying like, that's not the life that I want to live. And going back to like, that's not what makes me happy. Yeah. And so coming to this one, like I actually, one of my non-negotiables was wanting to build a company with friends. So David and I both put in, you know, money of our own. And of course, like for the past three years, we haven't gotten paid. So that's kind of an investment. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have like some friends and family investors who are like our best friends, like people we go yeah. like on holiday trips with and, and all that. But the, the premise of that is so one day we could have investor retreats <laughs> and all of our friends would be there. So we are like, so we do have some capital, um, from friends and family, but the primary reason is, is because of that, because I Mm. like, that would make me happy. Yeah. I think for me, I I wouldn't, yeah, I would never take, take funding. You know, I think, I think the freedom is so much more valuable than any money someone will give you, um, breathing down your back, asking you to kind of hit deadlines, hit goals. Um, I think, yeah, for me, I wanted to build a really happy, like a really good place to work with Sendable. And I think with, with someone else kind of over my shoulder, looking over my shoulder, I don't think that would have been possible. Um, yes, I agree with you. Um, something you've said before is that you need to, um, that you don't need to work harder, you need to work more creatively. Can you explain what you mean by this and maybe kind of examples of how you can work more creatively? Yeah, I mean, I think there is this whole like, you know, I'm I'm really busy, I can't respond to your email or your text and I, you know, I'm exhausted. Like there's this kind of like hustle porn. Right. And especially in, I guess, bigger cities, like maybe LA, San Francisco, New York. Like I was really surrounded by that. Like if, like I used to work out of a co-working space in New York and I will never forget a friend of mine telling me this. Um, he's like, how come you have so much free time? Like, aren't you CEO? Like if, if I, like, if I were CEO, I would, I would never have free time. And I'm like, yeah, but like, that doesn't equate anything. That just means mm. like, maybe you need to rethink the way you work because working more, working harder does not mean you're productive. It doesn't mean you're doing more. It doesn't mean you're more successful or that you're more worthy or you have mm. more money. Right. But it gets confused with that sometimes. And I think we have so many tools right now just at our disposal to enable us to automate so many things right? To set some boundaries. Um, and so I, I think that we need to work more creatively in the sense of like, we need to think about like, what can we spend less time on and what tool can we use or what system can we use to do more of it? 
And that's kind of the premise of eWebinar, right? It's like, okay, yes, I can do like two Zooms or even like one Zoom or whatever, like a, a month, but it's a kind of exhausting on the day that I want to do it. Or I can make a video and deliver it through here and I can do it a hundred times. Mm. And how much more productive is that? How many more people, how many more prospects and customers am I actually educating when I'm not there? Um, so that's kind of what I mean by that is like, and also like, um, you know, things like Upwork or, you know, your network on LinkedIn, like all of these networks allow you to hire people for really specialized skills mm. at a fraction of the cost to remove things from your plate. Like things that might take me four hours to do will take someone else one hour to do. And for the first time we have that at our disposal, we can hire someone anywhere in the world according to whatever budget we're willing to, to give. Mm. Right. So I think we're in a, like a really interesting time that allows us to be so much more productive. Mm. If we can shift our mind away from working more equals productivity, because it doesn't, it's mm. all about the outcome, right? Yeah. Like, and, and you have to set your own boundaries. Otherwise like you're not going to have a life. Yeah. Right. Like I don't work on weekends. Right. And I, and I work like, North American hours. I'm, I'm, I'm in Europe. So I work from like two, three to like maybe midnight. Mm. Um, but my, on my own terms, cause maybe I'll go out for a couple hours and have a drink with a friend and, and come yeah. back. Right. But, um, I think setting those boundaries and working more creatively will allow you to have like a better life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something we did at Sandable where we introduced remote working obviously before COVID. Um, and I had a friend of mine who was saying to me, like, how can you trust your team to get the work done? They're all working in the US and South Africa, Australia, wherever they are. You aren't watching what they're doing. How do you know if they're getting the work done? So we basically had OKRs or like goals that we would set the team. If they hit their if they, or KPIs, if they hit their KPIs, I didn't care where they were working from, how many hours they were working, as long as they were hitting the goals. Like if you, if you work four hours a week and you hit your KPI, that, that's fine to me, you know? So yeah, I agree with you. Working smarter is, is way more important than working more hours. Um, so yeah, a question for you. If you could go back in time and speak to the Melissa before you started Spacio, what would you have said to her? Start an automated webinar company. <laughs> back then, even. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say like, don't go into real estate tech. It is so, so difficult. Like, um, and like, my, I feel like part of my role right now, like when somebody comes to me for real estate tech advice is like actively sway them away from doing it because like also like you're selling to customers that are like real estate agents or brokers that traditionally mm -hmm. don't spend or adopt technology at the rate that you want them to so like yes maybe there's an opportunity but even like if, if you just look at the real estate tech market like there's a zillow there's a trulia zillow bot trulia like there's just like a, just a few players at the top whereas like if you look at other industries like there are so like there there's so many large companies and and like even mid-sized companies with with really good outcomes but in real estate that doesn't exist yeah. um but like jokes aside i would say like pick something that is not limited by industries mm -hmm. or language or geography because one of the hardest things i think with spacio was because it was an open house sign-in product. So it was really just serving North America, but really just the US because Canada has a different model, has a different commission yeah. model. It could not get more niche than that. So like if there's a million agents, this many are like actually hosting open houses and this many will actually like use technology instead of a piece of paper. Yeah. So when we were struggling, like we couldn't just go to another industry or we couldn't just be like, yeah. oh, let's be an office sign-in. Or like now let's be like a car dealership sign-in. So that was super restricting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like one of the reasons why I eventually just kind of lost passion for it because it was, it just was never going to give me the life that I wanted. And and luckily, but like we did have a pretty good outcome because we became a part of a bigger company, mm-hmm. um, but on its own, like it, it would never have been what I wanted it to be. Just curious, I saw on your LinkedIn, did you sell after two years after founding the company? Is that how long you were running it for? Or that's a pretty no. good No. <laughs> We <laughs> sold the company two years after the first person paid us $10. Okay. So it was like a long time. <laughs> that <looks> very impressive. <laughs> yeah. It was like yeah. a super long time. Like I had a company before that, that I ran for four years that morphed yeah. into this also in real estate tech. I don't know why, like, that's the one thing, like, I, I don't know why I did that twice. Um, but a lot of the time went to like iteration. Mm. So like, the time that we found somebody, like we found the product somebody would pay for to acquisition, like that was two years. Okay. That's, that's, that's pretty good still. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> our last question before we go, uh, what would you say are your favorite business books or podcasts that you listen to? Outside of this one? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say definitely um, you have to read the presentation secrets of Steve Jobs. Like if you haven't read it, like I don't care if you're a technical co-founder, mm-hmm. product manager, like CEO, like that. It's it's a it's it's a sales book, but it's it helps you um, understand the human psychology behind like a well structured presentation. Like how do you get people to like how do you get people to buy into an idea that mm-hmm. you're trying to sell? Um, Steve Jobs did not write it like Carmine Gallo did, but it is like to this day, the most impactful business book I've, I've ever read. Um, but also another book, um, Questions Based Selling uh, by Tom Fries. Um, it's more of like an enterprise sales books, book, but it, it helps you understand like how do you run customer interviews mm-hmm. um, and like demos so that you can use all that information to, to get to a close. Um, podcasts, like completely unrelated to, to business, but extremely funny, uh, blind boy podcasts, definitely get on that. It's like this Irish dude with a plastic bag over his head because he doesn't (laughs) want to be known. Um, it's super funny. And one last one, um, not a business book, but very inspiring for entrepreneurs, um, is the alchemist. Mm. Cool. Um, and obviously you, you, you have a background in sales. So I'm just curious, like, what do you think is the future of sales when people are kind of avoiding salespeople like the plague <laughs> these days and yeah. they come with all the information, all the research before they even buy from you. Where do you think salespeople have a place now in business? Yeah. So one of my favorite quotes from Trust Radius, um, there's a report that you can actually search for. I think it's like B2B buying disconnect. Um, one of my favorite quotes, I think it goes something like 87% of buyers want to do their own research um, during their journey. And 57% of people actually buy without a sales rep. Um, and I want people listening to to think about what that means for your business, right? Like we, like there, there's such a disconnect between like, Hey, when I'm selling you something, I want to get you on a phone. Mm. I'm not giving you any information. If you want to request for a demo, you have to fill in a form and then I send you a calendar link. Um, but when I'm buying, I want all the information transparent up front. Like that's the disconnect that it talks about. And why that's important is the people who understand that will know how to structure their business model and their information on their website and and all those things to adjust to like where we are shifting, like as, Mm. as like consumers. Um, I think the future of sales is community led. Uh, It's going to be based on social validation and where that 
what that means for salespeople is if like, I think traditionally salespeople like me included have been like the highest paid people like in a company. Right. But I do think that will change. Like there are many, many like skill sets and expertise that I would pay like more, more than a salesperson. Mm. Number one is community building, marketing, like digital marketing, customer success, right? These are all positions that like that are, are kind of hard to hire for that I yeah. would pay a lot more for. So I think what that means for salespeople is like, if you're not the top 1% of the 1% of salespeople and account mm. management is not sales, you need to learn one of those other skills mm. that could propel your career or learn how to work with those departments and those leaders. Otherwise, like I do think that just the average salesperson will become obsolete because marketing and community is the new sales. Uh, just, just on community, like could you could you define what it means? Um, like like what does community mean to you when it comes to business? Yeah, and, I, and I'm still learning um, that. So I'm I'm you know I, I'm taking a course uh, by Justin Welsh on like you know LinkedIn operating system, building an audience, mm-hmm. how to write content. Um, but I would think a community is a is a highly engaged group of people that cares about what you or, you know, your community, like the theme of your community um, has to say, like, it's a group of people that want to learn from each other with like a shared interest. Mm. And like, I see a lot of people like starting to do that and doing a really good job of that. Like whether it's on LinkedIn or whether it's in like Slack groups and things like that. So Mm. um, if you have a community that you own, you can literally build anything on top of that. Mm. Because from experience, I can tell you, if you try to get another community to do something for you, it's a huge lift. They won't. And a lot of these communities are closed off to vendors. Mm. Very good point. (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much for joining us today, Melissa. Uh, Where can people find you online if they want to connect with you or follow your journey? Um, definitely on LinkedIn, Melissa Kwan, K-W-A-N. Um, and of course, like if you want to check out eWebinar, just eWebinar.com, exactly as it sounds. Like.